Greetings, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. As always, I am your host, Keith Billick, and I'm really happy to have you joining me. And uh, we're, we're coming up on that most wonderful time of the year. And no, I'm not talking about any holidays or anything like that. I'm talking about the annual all-listener VIP lounge. That's happening tomorrow. Hopefully you are hearing this in time. Tomorrow being December 21st, that's a Thursday, at 8 p.m. And for those of you scratching your heads, what is this VIP lounge? This is a video meetup that we do monthly for all the VIP listeners, the very important pickers. Typically, you have to be a Patreon subscriber to, to join in on those. But every December, I decide to open up that month's VIP lounge to all listeners. So anybody who is hearing this, head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to get your meeting link. That's uh, through Google Meet. And uh, we'll be hanging out starting at eight o'clock on Thursday. So please join us. See what all the fuss is about. Now, like I said, we actually do that every month, but it's typically restricted to uh, my generous and supremely beautiful and talented VIP supporters. And today's VIP supporter of the show is Companion Custom Banjos. That is a Michigan-based company, uh, Chris and Stephanie Sorensen and team. Thank you so much for your generous support of the show and anybody looking to get in on the custom banjo game. Please check out the companion custom banjo site and see what they are all about they're doing great work and like i said based right here in michigan so i'm very proud of what they're doing and extremely happy to have them on board as a supporter of the show so once again patreon.com slash banjo podcast become a supporter of the show yourself and receive amazing rewards in return in other news, a lot of you might know that I am currently playing with a Michigan-based group called Wilson Thicket. Well, we just put out our debut studio recording. It's an EP titled Off the Edges. So anyone who wants to deal with a little more of me, but in the form of my banjo playing, please go check out the Wilson Thicket EP. You can stream that on all the regular streaming sites, or if you would like to pick up a digital or hard copy yourself, go to wilsonthicket.bandcamp.com and see what that's all about. It's some really good stuff. I'm really proud of it and uh, hope you like it. And you will be hearing more about that in the near future. And it might be a little too late to receive in time for the holidays, but don't forget to spend all that Christmas money that you get on some official Picky Fingers podcast merchandise. We have t-shirts, hats, hoodies, stickers, theme music for sale, banjo tablature, that's all available over at banjopodcast.com. I just restocked the shop with some uh, fresh new colors of t-shirts available in all sizes. So uh, check those out. Other than that, ways to support the show, make sure you are giving a subscribe and like and a follow on all the social medias or email the show at piggyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Today we have a freshly picked episode all about a new album titled Excelsior 
by banjo legend Alan Mundy. Alan is, of course, an endless source of inspiration, not only through his music, but also just has a really cool way of explaining his perspectives about music itself. So it was great digging into these tracks with him and uh, hearing how uh, how his brain works and how he comes up with some of these tunes and his approaches for the recording. I will apologize in advance. We had a little bit of technical difficulty getting Alan's voice recorded. Uh, so even though the audio quality might not be quite up to my pristine standards, I think Alan's stories and wisdom come through loud and clear. And of course, anytime you have a chance to have Alan Mundy on your podcast, you make it work out however you can. So without further ado, give a warm picky fingers welcome to Alan Mundy talking about his new album, Excelsior. All right, Alan. Well, we're here to uh, to discuss your new album called Excelsior. So, first of all, thanks for joining me, and thanks for you know hitting me up and arranging the uh, the interview. It's always a pleasure to see you and, and hear from you. Oh, it's my great uh, pleasure to be here with you and talk to all your banjo uh, audience out there, banjo playing audience out there. This is really yes. great. Playing or loving or whatever, it's all good. Yeah. So I guess, first of all, just give us an introduction to the project. There's a lot of tunes here uh, with a lot of different collaborators. Did you have a, a specific goal in mind as you, as you put these tunes together, or, or how did this all come about? Oh, as, as with many things, it sort of grows as you get into something. But uh, I'm great buddies with a really wonderful mandolin player named Billy Bright. Mm-hmm. who lives uh, in Wimberley, Texas, where I used to live. I'm now in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, I just want, we had done two projects together that were mandolin banjo focused. And I was wanting to do yet a third one. But then as we got into it, uh, it sort of grew. And I had this idea of rather than just Billy and I, Billy being the other mandolin player, that I've always loved the mandolin, the sound of the mandolin with the banjo. I'm a big, big fan of the early Dillards with Dean Webb on mandolin and Doug Dillard on banjo. I just love the sound and what they did together. And I, not that I've ever been able to accomplish that, but I like the sound of two picked instruments. You know, it just makes, to me, a really exciting, churning kind of... uh, presentation of the music rather than you know a lot of people like banjo and fiddle which i do too uh, yeah but the fiddle has got a different attack sure than, than the banjo which is plucked as the mandolin is plucked and so i thought well I'd, i've been a part of many many workshops that had these fabulous mandolin players that i've admired for many many years and i thought well it'd be a chance to uh, bring them in and i got billy on board as not only a player, but now he's the producer of it. So Billy uh, Bright was a very, very large part of this whole project. And again, you know, and a lot of people went through sort of a COVID experience where they, you know, were sitting around. And so I sat around and played and had a tune or two that developed. And then it reminded me that I had some tunes that I'd written in the past that I always liked, but never had a, opportunity to do it because they were sort of a little 
different and maybe two different. I don't know. Uh, so I, just, <laughs> I collected them all. And then uh, I have a really good friend, Elliot Rogers, who's a great songwriter, but he's also a, a great tunesmith. And he had mm-hmm. a couple of instrumentals that I was enjoying playing and had a little a different approach than what my tunes were. So uh, it's just a sort of a collection over time of these ideas, but it's somewhat focused around the banjo and the mandolin, although there are other elements in there. It's That's the main focus of it. And I'll mention one other quick thing is, as with Billy, the focus is so much on banjo and mandolin, and in this case, somewhat of a band sound. We didn't use a guitar except on three pieces. Right. And, and uh, that's mostly was my doing. And it's not that I don't like guitar. I love it. I play the guitar. But as a band sound, sometimes the guitar can uh, mask the quality of other instruments. So I left the guitar off. And sure enough, I believe to my ear, it gives a more a little more transparency into the banjo and the mandolin sound. We did use a bass. So many of them are just some grouping of mandolin with banjo and bass. Some are just yeah. banjo and mandolin. And then there are three that all feature a full band. Uh, I'll say that by adding the guitar and a fiddle. So, yep. uh, you know, it's got a variety of, of, of uh, contexts, I'll say, which is interesting to me, certainly. And I like to call the mandolin banjo, whatever the combination of mandolin or mandolins is with banjo and bass, I call that the bright muntone sound. <laughs> uh, so as I'm uh, trying to somewhat facetiously push this idea of this, that there's this sound. Yeah. It's basically guitarless. And, you know, in Country Gazette, for a period of time, it was Roland White on Manlin, me uh-huh. on the banjo, a bass player like Billy Joe Foster, and then Gene Wooten on the dobro. And we would play like that. With, so there's, oh. there's no guitar. Wow. The dobro is a guitar-like instrument, but it's not the same. And I remember playing at the Birchmere in D.C., which is a big showcase for bluegrass bands. And during the break, somebody came up to me and said, you know, because we'd come out and play four songs just right in a row, and none of them featured the guitar. And then maybe Gene would put the dobro down and pick up a guitar. And somebody said, man, I didn't even realize there wasn't a guitar there until you picked one up. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of music, you know, and it, for me as a banjo player in that context, it's easier to play because the guitar, I love the guitar, but it swallows up uh, sonically, you know, sort of the range that the guitar, the banjo is in and the mandolin lower range is in. And, you know, so it kind of, if you're not real careful with it and it's not played carefully, I'll say, it can kind of over, it puts a shadow over all the other instruments. That, yeah, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, and I'll probably uh, get a few emails from guitar players who <laughs> don't agree, and I, I love the guitar, so I'm, 
I'm just saying, for me, it's kind of a, a thing I did on this this recording. Hey, there are a lot of uh, well-loved bluegrass albums by Tony Rice and Chrisman that don't have a banjo. So this is us getting our revenge, right? You got it. You got it. There we go. No. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'll admit that I had to uh, I had to look up the meaning of the word excelsior. So I'm wondering what what uh what significance did that word have for you that you wanted to name the project after it? Well, you know, this is goes to me. I went to a parochial school, and uh, we're taught by nuns, and we had to memorize poems, and one of them was a poem called Excelsior, and it's hmm. by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Okay. Uh, and uh, I've just always remembered it from youth. And I like sort of the exoticness of the word, uh, but it's Latin for higher, I think, or mm -hmm. ever upward, I'll say. And uh, in this poem, it's about a mountain climber who runs into all sorts of weather and bad things. But in the end, he's always excelsior, you know, so it's just life's things that they throw at you as you're climbing the mountain chant or, or use the word excelsior and it just is an encouragement to reach higher so okay that's kind of that it's i mean it's mostly because it's an exotic sounding word <laughs> also they're already i looked up looked it up and there already is an excelsior hornpipe which is what i wanted to call it so to differentiate mine from the tr traditional one, I call it Longfellow's Excelsior Hornpipe because he was the poet. Yeah. Uh, so it's what? just just a thing. There's also a little bit of a naming convention in bluegrass of like Garfield's Blackberry Blossom and sort of distinguishing things using that method. So absolutely, yeah. you're you're absolutely right, and that I'm drawing upon that tradition. I guess with that, that's a perfect lead-in to the the first track, which of course is Longfellow's Excelsior Hornpipe. You've already explained sort of where that uh, title came from. I guess I'd like to talk about the process of arranging this one. I mean, the most noticeable feature is that you have the double mandolins. They seem to go in and out of different harmony parts, sometimes unison melodies, sometimes tremolo. How did this arrangement come about? It's really interesting arrangement-wise. Well, here's Billy Bright. This is Billy Bright again, you know, just listening to it and, and seeing how it feels to him. To me, it's interesting, and it's sort of a statement on my part that going back to the Dillards and uh, Dean Webb and Doug Dillard and the Dillards in general, their very first album was called Black, Back Torch Bluegrass. And when you put the needle down on the record, the very first thing you hear is, is the mandolin. And so the, on this recording, when you do that, if you were to put a needle down on it, it wouldn't work. But <laughs> when, you, when you push play and if you play it in order, the first thing you hear is the mandolin playing the melody. Now, here's another element of it is I've always thought and I'm happy when it works out this way, but you write melodies on the banjo and you take Foggy Mountain Breakdown and Flint Hill Special and all those, 
you know, there's not really a fiddle melody. There's not really a melody that the fiddle player would glom onto. They just make up whatever they want. So I always had the idea of trying to create things on the banjo that were actually musical in the sense that they translated to other instruments well enough that they could be played on another instrument and it'd be the same tune. So uh, this Excelsior hornpipe, Kim Warner is a mandolin player from Australia and brilliant and was around the Austin area and played with a group called the Green Cards and had great success. But he was able to learn it and make it work on the mandolin uh, as Billy Bright did also because it's a melody. It's not banjo sounds and i'm cool with banjo sounds too (laughs) you know but i like the idea of a melody so i was real pleased just on a personal level that it could be played with some ease of course these two guys are really good players by both kim and billy and Kim worked up a harmony part all on his own. I don't, I don't, Billy may have asked him to do that. Billy had a hand in every, all of this. Hmm. And he would listen to it and uh, request certain things. And he wanted the tremolo back up. And, and uh, really what I do on the banjo is the mandolin enters playing the melody. I play back up to him until the then it goes through the melody a second time and the second and third time I'm playing the melody on the banjo and there's a mandolin playing unison with me and also Mm -hmm. mandolin playing rhythm and then the last time Billy and I are playing the the melody in unison and Kim Warner is playing and I'm going to call it conversational mandolin He's playing in response, you know, it's, and these are the instructions. It's just that, Kim, at this part, just play as if you're having a conversation and respond to what you're hearing. And he's, was incredibly beautiful. And uh, I wish I could put out just all the tracks of his responses that we didn't use. Oh, yeah. Because he was, you know, just tremendously, uh, talkative i'll say but anyway that's what we wound up with so it's just basically the statement of the melody three times with you know the mandolins doing different things to do create a difference even though the melody is just the melody every time yeah i love how that's i i guess i'd call it maybe almost a like a john hartford-esque approach where it never really falls into like rhythm section soloist it's it's a this evolving mishmash of some combination of the melody, some harmony, some, like you said, some fills that, that right. respond to them. Yeah. 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 No, you're absolutely right. It's uh, so that's what the essence of that tune is. And also I want to mention for the banjo players, uh, yeah. it's a, I'm going to call it, it's a melodic approach, you know, the Bill Keith ish 
uh, I refer to it as string crossing, you know, where you're getting different notes on different strings, notes mm -hmm. in a row on the same string. And also I do something, it's very tiny in this particular one, but that I do quite often because it feels good to my hand to do it is their pull-offs, you know, rather than picking a note, one of the eighth notes, you do a pull-off to get a note that you want. And it just feels cadence-wise in my hand a little better. So it's got that element to it, but it's in the key of F. And so it's a, for melodic tunes, it's a little, you know, different than the key of G or D or C, right. you know, which are more common, where F is a little different. And uh, so that's one little difference about it, I think. Yeah, and another difference um, that I think is actually somewhat common in your compositions, you, you tend to straddle this like major minor tonalities, like maybe sometimes throwing in a, I don't know if it's, I, I haven't learned the piece, but I think it's probably like a flat seventh or a major seventh um, at different points. Yeah, yeah, there's a, it's in the key of F, and I should mention it's the banjo is tuned standard tuning, G tuning. So, mm -hmm. When I said it's in AF, it's not with a capo or anything. It's just yeah. straight ahead. And cool. uh, yeah, yeah, it goes through lots of one, six changes, you know, like F to D minor and uh, B flat to G minor. So it's the six minor of each one of those chords that goes through from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Next, we have Lloyds of Lubbock, which <laughs> this is educational for me. I had to look this one up and it looks like it's from like an odd couple bit about a sketchy insurance company. Is that where this comes from? Oh, you know, I have a good friend uh, who lived, when I lived in uh, West Texas, I lived in Level Land and Lubbock is just down the road. And there was a family of musicians there, the Maines brothers. And Lloyd was the steel player. And mm -hmm. Lloyd is the father of Natalie Maines. Right. With now called the Chicks. No. Yeah, the Chicks. Yeah. And uh, she's the lead singer and sang Wide Open Spaces and I guess is the lead singer on most of their material. But that's Lloyd's daughter. And Lloyd's a fantastic steel player and a very, very good friend and a music producer. He's now lives in Austin. And I wrote this tune, and this is kind of different on the banjo too, because it's in the key of E. Hmm. The only thing different, I mean E open, the only yeah. the, with the fifth string at a B note. Okay. So once again, it's a melodic approach, somewhat, largely the A part especially, which is kind of just a blues thing. But as I was playing it, it sounded to me like the idea a steel guitar player might come up with. those tunings 
and they push paddles and it gets this array of notes that are seemingly not com- commonly played together, I'll say. <laughs> so when you play this Lloyds of Lubbock, you're playing up, fingering things up the neck, but you're using open strings in comparison to them. And you get this, to me, it's a different kind of sound. I mean, it's not wildly different, but just, you know, like, what is that kind of a yeah. sound? So uh, I asked him if he would play on it, and he, he said he would. And so I called it, uh, Lloyd, you know, Lloyd's of London is the insurance company. Uh, okay. Uh, insurance company, but I just called it Lloyd's of Lubbock. So as a somewhat oh. of a hum- humorous tribute to Lloyd. Okay, well, maybe maybe you didn't know this, but there's a um, when you Google it, it there's an old Odd Couple television show that pops up where there's a, a Lloyd's of Lubbock insurance company, and he's like this sketchy, shady guy. I don't know. Check it out. I, I figured that's where it came from, but oh no, I, no I'm <laughs> totally unaware of that. But that's really cool. I hope I don't get sued or anything. Yeah, yeah. I, I won't tell if you don't. Yeah. Right, right. And so, uh, you know, to me, it's a real interesting tune and I like it, you know. And, and I, I will say one thing that's a little different for me about it is the more you play, the, I'm going to use the word mature, you mature a little bit. And I'm a real, real late bloomer. Sorry for the interruption, folks. We'll be right back with the rest of the episode in just a few moments. But I had to take this opportunity to tell you about some of the sponsors of Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. The first one up is Elderly Instruments. I always tell people how Elderly is the world's most trusted source for new, used, and vintage stringed instruments of all kind. They're the first place I go for all my banjo needs. And also, by the way, any guitar, violin, ukulele, mandolin needs you have, they're going to have all of that. But you don't need to take my word for it anymore, folks. Elderly Instruments was just named the best small business in the country by the United States Chamber of Commerce. So first of all, congratulations to Stan Werben, Lillian Werben, and all the rest of the Elderly family for that remarkable award. And second of all, I encourage you all to go see what the fuss is about. Either get into the showroom in Lansing, Michigan, or visit them online at elderly.com. They have the entire inventory up there. They ship worldwide, and they have that great customer service that wins folks awards. Uh, And they're just a phone call away if you ever need any advice on any of those products. So once again, elderly.com or call them at 517-372-7880. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is also sponsored by our good friends over at Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation is the nation's number one site for streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele where you can learn bluegrass, old time, and many other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in all of Roots music. Here is some of the selections, and this is just the banjo stuff. You can take beginning banjo with Bill Evans, bluegrass banjo with Bill Evans, clawhammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward style banjo with Bruce Molsky, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, or contemporary bluegrass banjo with Wes Corbett. Now, no matter what course you select, It's going to come with high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation, and tablature, 
play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And perhaps best of all, Picky Fingers listeners get a month free by entering coupon code PICKYFINGERS, all one word, all lowercase, at checkout. So once more, go to pegheadnation.com and enter PICKYFINGERS at checkout to get your first month free. The Picky Fingers podcast is also brought to you by Sullivan Banjos. Now, I'm very familiar with Sullivan Banjos. I've been playing one for nearly 20 years. I get tons of compliments on that banjo's sound, and that's really no surprise because the Sullivan name has been synonymous with incredible banjo workmanship and tone for decades. So whether you are looking for a pre-war style traditional design on through the craziest custom design you can think of, Eric Sullivan is here for you to make your dreams a reality. So get in touch with him over at sullivanbanjo.com, email him at sullivanbanjo at gmail.com, or sometimes the best way is just the old-fashioned way. Give him a call at 502-365-5022. And don't forget to tell him that Keith at the Picky Fingers Podcast sent you. So you write a tune and it's got an A part and a B part. Well, there's nothing, and this comes up later in another tune, but there's nothing that says it has to always be A and the same B. Mm-hmm. So, so the second time I play through the B part, I've changed it. So that the B parts are different and not wildly or crazy or anything, but there's just a difference and I, I, at first I thought, well, you can't do that. You're not supposed to do that because it makes it harder. Not harder, but you have to pay more attention. Just confusing, yeah. Yeah, it could be. It could be. But I left it anyway because, hell, you know, <laughs> music, I've decided, you know, it's better to make music than it is to always follow a form. And I remember reading John Coltrane one time. It was a story about him playing at a club in New York City. And the opening act, I'll say, was John Lee Hooker. Or, oh, wow. You know, or Lightning Hopkins or some some blue, solo blues artist. Yeah. And, and he said he was off to the side with a bandmate listening. And the bandmate was sort of poking fun at uh, John Lee Hooker or Lightning Hopkins, whoever it was, that he would just go to a five chord whenever, you know, at odd times. Uh-huh. Well, what... Uh, uh, Coltrane said about it was he thought it was cool because he said the content is more important than the form. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really good. Yeah. Know, a, a good thing to notice. And so in this sense, the content was more important than the form to me. And so I made the second B part for me different. Yeah. It almost sounds like a C part when you, yeah, yeah. When you hear it. Yeah, I think of it as just an alternate B part. But mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. Uh, it kind of is. So anyway. Yeah, very cool. Blue Hole Stroll. Now here's a, a beautiful chord melody style arrangement. And I feel like as I've seen you play over the years, it seems like your style kind of grows more and more in this direction. It strikes me that this is probably what you enjoy working on in your personal time. Is that, is there any <laughs> accuracy to that? Oh, oh, definitely, definitely. I love harmonies and uh, all these sorts of things. And one thing that is interesting on the banjo is uh, 
you know, we only have three fingers. Basically, that's what we use, thumb, index, and middle. So when you play a chord, I mean, you can drag your thumb and get another string, but most of the time you're just playing three notes. So just the intrigue of trying to make three notes more interesting somehow, there's a certain intrigue for me in that. So I like sort of chord solos and then try to get kind of different little harmonic uh, sounds along the way. And also, the older I get, the less I can play uh, as fast as I once did. And so slow songs all of a sudden are appealing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, g- give us a quick banjo lesson, either either via demonstrations or just by explaining. How do you go about composing in this style? Does it start as a, a single note melody and you fill it in from there? Or what, what does that look like when you're coming up with this stuff? Well, this particular tune, the chord progression, the flow of it is not, is a well-known form for the most part. It, and I don't know, it's sort of like uh, Some Old Day or I Don't Love Nobody, you know, that okay. sort of chord progression. Mm-hmm. And then you just look along the trail for little ways to make that a little different. This is in the key of C. Okay, so if uh, I did, if I wanted to go C and ultimately go to F in a progression, well, I would travel this way for me, just in this tune, with C, G seventh augmented, A minor, E augmented, and then here's the F. And then uh, F sharp diminished. So back to C. So it's... So it's that idea. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and you just kind of start with it. And I'm a believer in... uh, Jens Kruger, I saw Jens Kruger at a workshop and I saw Bill Emerson and they both said the same thing differently. And Jens Kruger said, you know what musicians do is they play a note, then they ask the question, what comes next? Mm -hmm. And Bill Emerson, somebody asked him how he wrote tunes and he said, well, I'm sitting around watching TV or just playing and I'll use the word goofing off, although I don't like that, messing around and I'll come up with something, and then I'll ask myself, well, what goes with that? So it's, you know, that sort of an approach. So you play a little bit, and it reminds you of other things or new things, and you just start adding things into it until you uh, type the words, the end. (laughs) And so you're, uh, you know, you just... Follow where it goes. And I want to say one other quick thing about me, if I can. Of course. <laughs> and about and banjo playing. The way I look at it, uh, my life and banjo, is I'm a banjo player trying to play music. And I think the other side of the coin is a musician who plays the banjo. I'm a banjo mm. player who plays music. 
then there's a musician who plays the banjo. And right. I, I would say I could name names, but I'm just going to talk about me. So what I do is I kind of look for what the banjo has to offer mm-hmm. and then go with that rather than, oh, I've got this melody and I'm going to, for me, I would say force it onto the banjo. You know, and you hear not so much. There's such brilliant players nowadays. You don't hear it so much, but there was a time when you would hear kind of things to me seem forced rather than, you know, and written sort of counter to the banjo yeah, or against the banjo, where for me, if the banjo doesn't kind of give it to me fairly easily, I don't go, there, <laughs> you know, because I'm yeah. a banjo player. And so if I move my fingers a certain way and music, what I identify as music comes out, then I go with it. But if it's too hard or, you know, I'm just being too sort of clever, that's not going to work. So anyway, uh, the second part, if I could talk about the B part of this tune, somebody told me long, long time ago, there is no song that goes all the way around the circle of fifths. And I believe them. Uh, I think there's a jazz tune, old big band tune called Cherokee, that the yeah. B part goes just through the circle of fifths. So I was intrigued by that. And I like the idea of the circle of fifths because it makes things sound good. So I did that in the B part. Here it is. Let me show you what I'm talking about. That's that's just G uh, to C. G. Then it does this. I'm in C. It goes to B. E minor. A to D, G to C, F to B flat, Mm -hmm. E flat to A flat. (laughs) So it just goes around the circle of fifths. And it keeps going after that? It goes all the way through? No, no. I failed. I bailed that. It goes from A flat to which, and you have to, I'm making all this up. This is my understanding of music theory. It's I, somebody could probably say the words that it would explain it. But A flat is very close to a D seventh altered D seventh kind of chord. So you can go from A flat to a D seventh, which puts you back at G. And then you're back at C. Okay. You know, so yeah. It's it's that idea. It's a fun thing to do. I do it actually on another piece on this recording, but that explains that Blue Hole Stroll. And Blue Hole is a swimming hole in Wimberley, Texas, and a regional park down there. And my wife and I used to walk it a lot. And it seemed, you know, like an easygoing, strolling kind of uh, a tune. So I called it Blue Hole Stroll. And hole and stroll rhyme. So uh, I thought, well, that sounds poetic. So yeah. Yeah, that's the theme for this yeah. one. Yeah. And that circle of fifths portion, is that over the um, the double banjo, the, the banjo duet breakdown thing? I do it in that. Yeah, I do it in... Uh, it actually is, the, when I'm playing solo, the single banjo, it's the B part. When I do 
the two banjos, it's just the second banjo is in harmony, does the same. You know, it's the circle of fifths again. Yeah, this is a tune that is the same every time. Yeah, so, yeah. Yep, yep, love it. And now Miss Kitty's Hornpipe, this one is definitely a little more of, I think, what a lot of people would identify as like a, a vintage Alan Mundy sounding melodic style banjo piece. already talked about your choices of instrumentation yeah a lot of these are either solo banjo or duets or very stripped down is it pretty much just what you already said that you wanted to be able to hear the the instruments i like the sound of just the banjo and the mandolin i like to hear you know it gives people a chance to hear what they sound like in a different context i mean not a wildly different but just you know, a different view of the both the mandolin and the banjo. And Emery Lester is the mandolin player that plays on this one, who's a brilliant. All these guys and gals that played on this are brilliant. And uh, he's just a really beautifully clean and sparklingly clear player. And I've played with him many times at, in Europe and uh, at workshops and whatnot. And he did a great, great job on it, I think. And again, it's a tune that I hoped would translate to a, the mandolin as a musical piece and not just play solos over the chords. And he certainly did that, you know. And plus, he played a solo and played in unison with me. You know, he did all of that stuff. And when I would contact uh, these players, I just minimal instruction. You know, I'd say, you know, play the melody if you like it, uh, play harmony if you want, or just play whatever you, whatever you think it sounds like to you and mm. just turn it loose. And I'm a believer in uh, you get good people and you just tell them play like you play and they they're very very sensitive listeners and great uh, they know how to fit in and one thing about when you're playing in this format is everything is sort of i'll say use the word visible you know there's no hiding behind right uh anything so in a sense you have to listen very closely and play in a way that's exposed so, uh, and all these people are really, really good at it. And I love it. I'm also uh, on this Miss Kitty's Hornpipe. I played a festival in Minnesota and there was a group there called the uh, what, Tune Junkies. And their mission was to, there were three of them. It was a trio. They just played tunes that they liked, mm -hmm. you know, and if you didn't like it, then maybe you'll like the next group. But <laughs> I found it really compellingly attractive, you know, just for musicians to sit down and play. 
here's the tunes we love to play. You know, maybe you'll like to listen to them, but this is when we get together, this is what we play. And they played a tune in there called the Missouri Hornpipe, I think it was. And I'm not saying this is modeled after that, but it's sort of inspired by that tune. Hmm. Uh, and uh, I just did what I could do in there to make it sound hornpipe-ish. And yeah. I'm not even sure, <laughs> sure what that is, to be honest with you. But uh, it seems to come out sounding that way. Yeah, cool. Uh, then we have Him for Slim, which I'm assuming is named for Slim Richie. Is that a fair uh, fair assumption there? Absolutely, absolutely. I met Slim. He was called Michael, David Michael Richie, Mike Richie. I'm from Norman, Oklahoma. And at the age 14, I got a guitar and... Uh, looked in the yellow pages and found the closest music store, which was Mike Ritchie's Guitar Center, and went over there. And Mike Ritchie's Guitar Center is where I went for my first sort of guitar lessons. I'd already figured out D, G, and C, and or D, G, and A7, and tried to play a few tunes that way, but went there to take lessons and knew Mike. Later, he became Slim. Richie, from then on till his death, maybe in 2015. And we were great buddies, and he was a mentor, a musical mentor to me. And he also owned Ridge Runner Records, which released Banjo Sandwich and several uh, my solo albums and some Country Gazette and different artists. But he was really important in my musical career. So I wanted to just pay a little tribute to him in a kind of a somber way so i wrote that tune there and it's what it is it's a solo banjo piece is the banjo in a different tuning for this uh that's a good question because it's not okay uh, it's uh, all gotten out of the standard tuning and i don't think i played the fifth string at all in it so i don't even think i fooled with retuning it or anything uh, so it's all played just on the four harmony strings, I'll call them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of sort of was unusual for me uh, to do this kind of a piece. I'm, and not with, uh, I'm going to say it's sort of a classical kind of sounding thing. But I don't know anything about classical music as a study. You know, I know what it sounds like when I hear yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never studied that. But it seemed somewhat classical and it had a certain sense about it that was that way and uh, so anyway yes it was for Slim my good friend Slim Ritchie Are you familiar with the banjo player Rex McGee? I sure am. I've met him in a time or two. 
I, I think that's why I wondered if it was in a different tuning is because he uses a fourths tuning and there was some things in this piece that kind of reminded me of stuff that I've heard him do. And I don't know, it just kind of oh, sure. made sense in my mind. No, that's, um, a, that's a good question. And then it, I think the, the part that really grabbed my ear, I mean, you said it was maybe classically sounding, but there's, there's a part where it's almost Travis style with like an alternating bass, but a higher up the neck melody. Right. Right. I'm, I think I know what you're talking about. Uh, and it's mostly just done out of a chord shape. Let's say it starts on a minor. The my, a minor chord is on the interior string, second, third, and fourth. Mm. And then that high note is a note one half step out of the chord on the first string. So it'd be A minor with a B note mm. on top, you know, so you get actually an A minor uh, ninth, I guess it would be. Right. And, and uh, here, I'll demonstrate it here real quickly. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear it. Let's see. That little thing there. Yeah, that's a A minor. I don't know if you can. Yeah. Cool. Then it goes to there. Yeah. And you might ask, how did you decide on those chords? I mean, that particular. You know, actually, what I did is, and, and again, uh, I mentioned. Uh, Jens Kruger and uh, Bill Emerson, but I want to mention Tony Trishka. Tony's uh, comment one time was to his encouragement was play anything. And so you put your fingers down and you make a sound and then you keep your fingers the same shape and you move it till you find another place that sounds good. Interesting. <laughs> you know, yeah. the more you listen to music, the more you start to recognize, well, that sounds, they sound a reasonable uh, interval between those two uh, to my ear. And so you keep looking for that and you come up with what I did. All those, each one of those shapes or those chord senses are all the same shape, but just move to a location that I like the sound of. Yeah, and, and sounded reasonable and musical to me. So, uh, thank you, Tony Triskia. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And moving on, we have a, another dedication piece, uh, Byron's Buddies, with you and you and Sam. years ago to the great disappointment of many many including me mm -hmm. uh, and Byron was a great buddy of mine 
from our college days together. We went to the University of Oklahoma together and Byron introduced me to a lot, a lot of people and a lot, a lot of music making and uh, things that I would have, it would have taken me another 20 years or more to accumulate all that that I got through Byron. Byron was a great conduit of music in my life. Uh, not only his playing, but all the people he knew and uh, the people that brought music to him and he would share with me. Uh, so it was really great. And we played in a band together, Country Gazette, for several years. And uh -huh. I'd go visit him at his store in Oklahoma in his later life. And we'd play music when I'd go there and we'd pick a tune or two and whatnot. But anyway, it was a real, you know, sad moment when he died. So I was wrote this tune that, for me, Byron, my favorite Byron is as a fiddle player. And I would go to contests with him. Texas and Oklahoma was full of contests, fiddle contests back in the 60s. So I wrote this tune, especially the A part and the C part, to sound like a Texas-style contest fiddle tune as much as I could on the banjo. And then the B part is just sort of my own take off, whatever that might be. But anyway, uh, it's all for Byron and I, and I thought Sam Bush would be a great one on there because he absolutely uh, knew Byron from when he was, actually he knew Byron before I did. Oh, wow. Yeah, he had met Byron at the Weezer, a big Weezer contest in Weezer, Idaho, national fiddle contest in Weezer, Idaho. And both Byron won his division and Sam won his division. So they, were aware of each other and were big buddies once again, you know, their whole lives, whole, uh, as long as it could be. And, uh, but Sam also was a great fiddle player and a fiddle player that understood exactly the sort of Texas contest fiddle style. So I knew he would do a good job on the, on that recording. And he certainly did. And, uh, I asked, the only thing I asked him to do was to, on the A part, play a rhythm line like a Texas contest backup guitarist would do. So he would play, he, and he did it, he did it. So I'm really happy that he did that, and it sounds pretty cool to me. And the mandolin on there sounds, if you've ever heard Sam Bush play, it sounds exactly like Sam Bush. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you know? that's just right, yeah. You know, you don't go, is that, that's not uh, Matt Flinner, is it? Oh, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's not Sierra Hall, is it? No, 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 no. Yeah, it's unmistakable. Unmistakable, yes, and brilliant. So I loved it, loved it. Now, um, I, I'm curious, you, you, you say that you wrote the A part in kind of a Texas fiddle style. What are the elements of that style to you? What, what... How is that different than any other piece you might write? Oh, in a way, not much, but it's more noty. You know, mm. uh, in a sense, what I wrote is not Sally Johnson, but it's Sally Johnson-esque. And uh, <laughs> uh, it uses, you know, like a lot of tunes, uses the same notes, but you put them in a different order and it's a different tune. Okay. You know, there's a certain element, if I could demonstrate it, on the Texas fiddle tunes, 
it seemed to me at the end of, I'll say bluegrass fiddle tunes, they end on the downbeat of the last measure, let's say, or even at the, the middle. But these Texas players have a way of kind of, I'll use the word, unching, unching the end over just a tiny bit. I'll kind of demonstrate it here. Hang on. Okay. So here's G. See. See how it does instead of going. It goes. Right. See. Yeah. It's got a uh uh. That, yeah. You know, rather than uh, it goes uh uh. Yeah. I, I I hear exactly what you mean. Yeah, I mean it's a tiny little thing, but it's it makes it uh, interesting, you know, in a way that uh, to me is is the sort of Texas uh, sort of thing. Gotcha. Next up, we have "Holler Up a Possum," which is uh, one of the tunes that you mentioned is written by your friend Elliot Rogers, who wrote two pieces on this album, and. I'm not personally familiar with Elliot, so maybe this is a good opportunity to introduce him to listeners and, and tell me about who he is. Right. Elliot is a really wonderful songwriter and music maker who lives now in uh, actually uh, Driftwood, Texas, but it's very near Wimberley. But he's from Albuquerque. Okay. Mostly and played in a group out there with, uh, you might know the name, Wayne Shrubsall, who... Yeah. wrote for a banjo newsletter for many years. They had a group out there together, and he moved down uh, to the Austin area, and we played in a group together. Uh, for a while, I had a group called the Alan Mundy Gazette, and we recorded a, an album's worth of music, of which we did a number of Elliott songs, but he's uh, still down in that area and plays music a lot. But he wrote this uh, guitar tune called Holler Up a Possum. And uh, I thought as I played it on the banjo, it f felt really good to me and kind of different, not different as a tune necessarily, but different for me to play. It had a little different sensibility about it. And so uh, uh, I took it and made it, played it as the banjo tune and Elliot plays the guitar on it and the solo. And I really love his guitar playing and the sound of his guitar it's really i'll use it muscular is the word i would use it's very uh, strong and then he wrote the other one which is called five fall down which mm -hmm. is actually a song it's got words but he never finished it but i always liked the <laughs> flow of it so i snatched it up as a made it into sort of a banjo tune it's kind of an old-timey sound to it i think personally but uh those are both Elliot songs, and so had Elliot play on them. And Billy is on the mandolin. Billy's a great, great mandolin player. One thing I really like about the, the, these mandolin players that I've chosen, but also how we recorded them, is uh, once again without the guitar, you can hear the mandolin chop, but it doesn't. I'm not complaining about anybody else's or anything, but uh, there's a way of playing the mandolin that sounds almost like a cardboard box in its rhythm. You know, it's, chuck, chuck, chuck. 
Yeah. You, know, you could almost make it with your mouth and you <laughs> yeah. have that rhythm where or you don't have to finger you don't have, you don't have to actually finger the chords you can just mute the strings right. and uh, yeah. Absolutely 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 where these because there's not all this competition you can hear the tone of the chord and the tone mm. of the mandolin in the chop and you know Bill Monroe did that and I really like that you know so uh, it's just that but Billy was really and maybe the I use the word wolf, not W-O-L-F, but W-U-F, <laughs> wolf. You know, you can hear the sort of the puff of the chop. So anyway, uh, that's uh, Holler Up a Possum, and the name is just bluegrassers, and some of them are always intrigued with old-timey tunes, and there's one called Carve That Possum to Its Heart. Oof. That's an Uncle Dave making tune, I think. So Holler Up a Possum is just a sort of silly hillbilly-ish. Just word wordplay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, just a thing. Yeah, I was scared to ask. Yeah, it's it has no <laughs> secret meaning. Yeah, cool. Well, I think I wanted to ask you something about um, uh, bow nose. And All right. The the thing I'm curious about on this it's it's a small thing, but it's definitely noticeable. the The first note on the downbeat of the melody sounds like you hit a note and then you slide up to the same note which I assume you're hitting on like a, a lower string at that point. Um, that, I'm glad. And then at some point you, yeah. And then at some point you even play it with a little more of a melodic style thing to it. So yeah, take us through that. tried real hard to get it to come out like I wanted and I it did I mean it, that that it is sort of unidentifiable is kind of what I was after you know but it's okay. actually this the slide happens on the second string and it's actually from a G to an A okay and, and uh, let me see how the tune even goes man I can't remember it is so i hit the fifth string right after it okay that's the, it the first one is g to an a man you know i can't remember how to play it right <laughs> but you know that's a really bizarre tune and for me i mean all of this i'm saying is in the context of me uh, because for the rest of the world, you know, they can do things and that I can't possibly do, and uh, they can do things I can do immediately. But for me, in my world, uh, 
that tune is kind of an awkward, odd sounding tune. And uh, I did it with Jeremy Chapman as the mandolin player. Jeremy is with the Chapman family mm-hmm. who live here in Springfield and have a, a music store, the acoustic shop here in Springfield. Beautiful, beautiful shop. Great, great players, the whole family. The dad, yeah. really fine banjo player. And uh, I got him to play on it. And I said, you know, Jeremy, I can't help you with this. You're just going to have to listen to it. <laughs> I said, I can't tell you what the chords are uh, on the A part. I have no idea. You just play whatever your favorite sounding chords are with it. The B part I had a, and the C part I had a little more of an idea. But the A part is just sort of chordless. You could play it all G. You could play all Gs and Fs. And you could probably yeah. throw some B flats in there. It doesn't matter. Uh, but anyway, it's just a melody that seemed uh, to me. When and Jeremy did really cool things with it. He would play unison, and then it when they're in the middle of the unison part, he'll slide off and be somewhere else. And if you're listening to it with headphones, to me, it's I think of it as sort of darkly mysterious. And in my world, that's what it would be. But uh, it's a curious tune. I'm glad you uh, noticed that little thing at the very first. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, highly recommend people check out the rest of these. You know, we, we tried to give you a little sneak peek behind the curtain on a few of these, but the, the rest of them are equally as cool. I would draw everyone's attention also to 10 Cent Breakfast, which has this like kind of crazy Tex-Mex meets Duke Ellington meets Western Swing, all with a banjo kind of kind of sound, which which is really cool. Yeah, it is, it is, it's real cool. Uh, also, uh, I always like to mention that this is on the Pawtuxet label. Yes, yes. Which is a very fine gentleman out of the Washington D.C. area and puts out lots of cool music. And just go to his website and and uh, see what he's got to offer. And um. You know, before we get get too far gone here, I want to make sure everyone knows what what banjo were you playing for this recording? Well, I played. Uh, uh, I have a Stelling Crusader. I'm a Stelling guy. Mm. For all those small group pieces, I played the Crusader, and on the ones that are, I recorded three tunes. I, I should say this. Of all those tunes I played, only three were recorded with the other musicians around. Everything else was me playing by myself in a room. Every, yeah. you know. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And that shows you to me how good a listeners all these players were, is I was unable to react to what they did. So they had to play with what I did. And they did it marvelously you know so yeah totally agree yeah it's a real tribute to all those other people on the recording for sure and then in those three that are the studio recordings with the band around i played the stelling staghorn uh, got it and don't ask me why i don't know <laughs> I, I just did uh, you were two steps ahead of me i was i was about to ask that but now i won't <laughs> There should be a better reason than that, but uh, I think the Stelling is a little easier to finger. 
uh, okay. you know, the string action. And I thought maybe playing with the band, I would be a little pressed. So I wanted something a little easier to play. So you, you got to make up a better story about maybe how the antlers mean you're asserting you're asserting your dominance over the other musicians or something. Oh, didn't I mention that? Yeah. <laughs> I was about to get to that. Yeah. Can I say one quick thing about you and what you're doing? It's really, really great. I love listening to your podcast. I listened to the one with Tom Adams and Chris Warner about oh, yeah. Jimmy Martin World. Do you have anything to add to it? Uh, no, they were right on. They got all of it. <laughs> uh, there's no difference anywhere down the line, I don't think. Bill Emerson and J.D. both had similar stories, you know. I bet, uh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's Jimmy Martin. Yeah. Not, he's not going to be different. You know, he just is. Yeah. Did did you listen to the one? I, I appreciate the kind words, by the way. That's that's really flattering to hear from you. But um, Ben Eldridge gave you a shout out. I don't know if you heard that part. I heard that one. Yeah, I really appreciate Ben. Ben's a great, great guy and a great player and a good friend that I haven't seen in many, many years. I'm sad about that, but maybe one of these days soon. Well, I'll at least pass along to him that you said hi, and uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully sometime. Um, and and before we before we really pull the plug, uh, give us websites. How can someone purchase your album or or find any other information about you that that is out there? Yeah, uh, my website is almundysbanjocollege.com. and uh, then Paul Tuxet Records. You can look them up. Uh, so those are the two places uh, to find Alan, this album, Excelsior. And I will say, I sell, I can only sell a hard copy, the CD. Uh, Paul Tuxet can sell you a download. Oh, and, good to know. Yeah. And also, I have all the tablature is available on my website to this. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And And I guess I should, yeah. Go ahead. So you too can be Alan Mundy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We should be so lucky for only fifteen ninety nine or something or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. And I, I should also add for for a lot of us uh, our our longtime fans of yours. There's also plenty of other tablature for a lot of your other recordings. So those of us who are fans of a lot of your other catalog, that's that's there too. Yes. Yes. I have a, a way more than probably I need, but it's all there and ready and waiting. So it's not about you needing it. It's about us, us needing it. So thank you for, for providing all that. It's, it's a huge help for sure. Okay. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Alan. Been enjoying listening to the album and I hope everyone else does too. Very good. Very good. Well, thank you, Keith. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and extra special thanks this episode to Companion Custom Banjos. Chris and Stephanie Sorensen and their team are this episode's Patreon supporters of the show. Head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to support the show yourself, but also to get that meeting link for tomorrow's VIP lounge. That's December 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Everyone is welcome. Don't have to be signed up to to join with that. Buy Picky Fingers merch at banjopodcast.com. Contact the show, pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. That's going to do it for me. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your holiday season, and I will see you in the new year. <laughs>